Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. This is found on page 897 in your Pew Bible. And so if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home with you as a gift from us, or you can take it home and give it as a gift to someone else. So here's John 11, verses 1 through 15. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. All right, thank you. Dakota, and thank you, Christ Community. And I'm, and I'm going to start off with an admission. I am um, definitely out of my element, not because I'm here, because I'm, I feel home here, but because I am responsible for an entire chapter <laughs> on one Sunday. So, um, so what I'm going to do is, uh, and I've been learning from uh, brothers and sisters over at Christ Community in our little teaching huddles where we kind of gather together and kind of talk through, and I've been peeking in on how they've been doing it. It's like, how do you do like one sermon? It was just, uh, yeah, that's amazing to me, but I'm still learning. So you guys are part of my uh, kind of test group. <laughs> Let's see if, I, see if I do okay. But our focus today is going to be on this title. Uh, a shared crisis in um, a shared crisis in a cross-cultural relationship. So let's pray. Let's ask God's blessings and then see where He takes us here. God, we come to you because we know, Lord, that you are the master of all things, creator of the universe, and that our purpose exists under the umbrella of your intent. So we ask that you would guide us so that we may be not only insightful in the work that we do as we gather your information today, but that we may be intentional in our efforts to apply it to our individual lives and our collective bodies so that we can, so that the result will be a lifestyle change. 
Uh, we ask that you would let not the speaker stand in the way. Give me perfect health, logical progression of thought, and allow the Holy Spirit to do his thing. And we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so a guy coined a phrase some time ago. It was a gentleman, I believe it was, who said, uh, men are from Mars and women are from, from Venus. What he was saying is that these two people who have come together in one covenantal relationship have two different cultures that they're trying to blend, and the degree to which they can blend that culture determines how successful they're going to be. So our question today is, how do we reconcile the cultural difference between God, who, Jesus, who did not grow up in our neighborhood, and us? We are worldly, he is heavenly. And yet we are in this relationship together. Now, here's the deal. You can always fake it. Like whenever you're trying to you come together, you can fake it. You can be white polite, or you could be, you know, white polite, you know what that is? Y'all don't know what that is? That's when you follow, like you, like you might not have thought it was a good sermon, but you should say good sermon. You know, because you know, blacks don't do that. Blacks be like, nah, I didn't get, I didn't get that, you know. Uh, you know, or blacks will just ignore you. Just walk away like you didn't exist or whatever the case may be. I mean, you could be either one of those two things, but it only lasts so long. But when you're in a crisis, we have to do it together. Whenever a crisis takes place, then the faking goes away. Like even if you're a person that say, I don't cuss anymore. You know, you go to church, you say, I don't cuss anymore. But then somebody cuts in front of you while you're driving down the street and you almost have a wreck. And then all of a sudden, all these words come out of your mouth. You know, middle of a crisis, the real you comes out. And so this is interesting because Jesus is going to intervene with his culture from heaven into human culture, which is on earth, in the middle of a crisis that involves both of them, which is this challenge that Lazarus has a illness. So, so what the story tells us in John chapter number 11 is uh, Lazarus had a, what looked like a terminal illness that some believe was curable. Uh, Lazarus seemed to be a fairly popular guy. At least Mary, Mary and Martha was popular enough to where when they were going through their grieving, people gathered around their house and tried to support them. So this big crowd is gathering around at home. Before that, when he first gets ill, then a message is sent. So the message is sent to Jesus while they are on the, uh, while he's on the trip with, with, the, with the fellas. And so here's, in, in verse number 11, he begins to say this, and here's where we really see this cultural impact. Because the question is, is when the message comes that your friend is terminally ill, how do you respond to that? This is the introduction of a crisis. Jesus is from heaven's neighborhood. We're from earthly neighborhood, and we see two different responses to this dynamic. Uh, it says a certain man, it talks about who he was, and, and there was, it says, so he gets the message. The message says, uh, the two sisters that sent the message says, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He says, but when Jesus heard it, he says, this illness does not lead to death. He says, it is for the glory of God and so that the Son of Man can be glorified through it. He says, so, so the crisis comes out, hey, Lazarus is dying. So the disciples probably start to, at least I would panic and say, oh boy, we got an issue going on. Jesus' response was, well, this, you know, he probably won't die. 
In, in fact, God's going to be glorified through this. So what you have is this cultural challenge. Now, what we see here is a contextual application. What Jesus is doing is applying his culture's perspective, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven, to our earthly scenario. And that's what he always does. So let me give you an always. Here's the always. Jesus always views our, our, our shared crisis from a heavenly-based cultural perspective. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't view our experience as we view them. He reviews them from the perspective of the neighborhood that he comes from rather than the earthly neighborhood that we come from, right? So uh, my dilemma sometimes is trying to figure out why humans do what they do. So, uh, so, so my doctoral work is in, uh, my PhD work is in the science of human behavior. My THD work is in the science of human behavior, theologically speaking. So I, I've just tried to figure out why we do what we do, probably because I did so many things that are questionable when I grew up. I thought, who was I? Who was that guy? So, so when I look at this, I'm always looking at the lens through which humans are influenced. And the two things that we can assure us. First of all, the one thing influences us is our biological capacity. You know, when you, when, how were we created and what is our capacity that way? The other thing that influences us are our cultural experiences, the things that happen to us. And those two things together creates our culture, right? And so that dynamic is beginning to take place. Now, if you look at Jesus, he didn't come from, he didn't have the biological experience we have, nor did he have the cultural experiences that we have. He's coming from heaven. So his is always right. And so when he comes down, he is bringing his righteous reality into our human dilemma, all right? And so in trying to create the difference, we have to recognize that he will always do that. He will always have a heavenly bias culturally. So Jesus is not going to debate with you. You're going to with Jesus this time. No, Jesus is always right. So, so whenever you come into that conflict, there it is. So Jesus is right about this. The other guys are saying, listen, uh, and, and what happens is Jesus comes back a little bit later and says uh, that not only is he terminally ill, but he's fallen asleep. They took an earthly perspective of that. Oh, when you get some rest, he'll be fine. And he said, no, 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 he's dead. And then Jesus says something that probably would have upset me had I been there. He says, our friend is dead. And then he says, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there when he died. I'm like, what? <laughs> In other words, y'all thinking I could, I could cure him. He says, he died so that you could believe, so let us now go to him. Oh, now you want to go. Now he's already dead. Now, now you want to go. Because from an earthly perspective, that, that, you don't go after the death. You go to cure the problem. And so what you did was you waited here on purpose until he died and now you are saying, let's go there. And not only are we going to go there, but people have been trying to kill us down there. And you want to go there after he's died, after we can do no good to a place where people don't like us anyway. Earthly perspective. God gives a biblical perspective. So let me 
say some things that we can do to help reconcile that difference. First thing you have to do is you have to guard your assumptions. Guard your assumptions. You, if you have assumptions, then your assumptions are usually based on your cultural perspective about his cultural perspective. So the fact that Jesus, I'll give you an example. So I have uh, four grand, I, we have, I have eight grandkids, four grandsons. And so I raise girls. Now, my wife and I, we come from very, very different upbringings. Like with us, me and my brothers, we went to the hospital like at least once a week. One of us was going once a week and had stitches. We had casts. We had all those different kinds of things that you do to patch somebody up after they break themselves. We did that like all of the matter of fact, when we walked in, the, the, the reception would say, which one? Like, which one? Uh, we got to a point where when we got stitches, we just said, how long are they supposed to be in here? Because we weren't even going to come back to the doctor. Take them. We, they, they come out on the 15th? Okay, we take them out ourselves from home. I mean, it was just, you know. And so that's kind of the way it was with the boys. Uh, my wife grew up, who grew up with sisters, uh, they didn't really have the same dilemma that was going on. So when we had grandsons, she was uh, very concerned about some of the small infractions that were common to me. So my grandson is out, and I think it was uh, the, go the golf club. One of them had the golf club or swung the golf club or something, something happened, and he hit him in the head and bust his head open, right? So I hear them yelling, I'm in the house. I hear them yelling from the side yard, the backyard, screaming and hollering. So my wife comes in, they got the boy, and uh, they're scaring him to death, you know, because they're all screaming and hollering. It's a, pile of, a pile of the girls are all walking at the same time, screaming and hollering. So I came in and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what happened? He said, his head is busted, his head is Call the ambulance, man. all this stuff is hollering. I said, well, give them to me. So we get it, and I go in there, and I said, well, let me get some cold water. Let's rinse this off and see what we got, you know. Uh, so we had a split. It was big enough to where, okay, we need to uh, go to, we probably need to go to the ambulance, go to the doctor's office. So I got a little Vaseline, put it on there to kind of help control the bleeding where he was going, and then, uh, you know, put him in the car. We just headed to the... Then later, some of them were like, you act like you didn't care. <laughs> it was like... The assumption was because I wasn't hollering and screaming and doing all this kind of stuff, I act like I didn't care. But from my culture, that was a normal, we did this all the time. I can fix this kind of stuff. <laughs> from her culture, it is, you should be panicking. You know, like, you know it's, it's that kind of thing that if you have those assumptions. So when Jesus comes in your life and you tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm hurting. And Jesus says, chill out, chill out. I got this. I've been through this stuff before. I know how to fix it, whatever the case of matter is. And then we get mad. Jesus, you act like you don't care. Let's suppose you was on the boat and there was a storm and Jesus fell asleep. How would you feel? <laughs> like, Jesus, you don't care. He says, no, I do care. You just know what care looked like from your perspective. The culture where I come from, we don't do that. So you got to remove the assumptions. The second thing that you got to do is you got to make sure that you recognize that God's grace is sufficient. It's never too late for God. Like even when it feels too late for you, then it's never too late for God, okay? The next thing you gotta also realize, the last thing under this particular uh, covering is that God always does it for a greater good. And what a greater good looked like for him might not look like the same thing for you. I remember I was going in to get a shot. So I was sick, I was going in to get a shot. And you know how the doctors take the needle 
and put it up to the light. And then you can see how long the needle is. You can see how much stuff is in the needle. And then he drips a little bit of it out. So uh, it's just a scary thing. It's like a, you know, uh, like a vampire with a drip of blood on his tooth getting ready to bite my neck. And so, and so my mama said, oh, that's good. I'm like, what's good? She's like, it's plenty of medicine in there so we can really get to the root of the problem. No, it's a long needle. And the long needle is going to be in in my body a long time because of how much stuff is in there. So my perspective was very different from her perspective, but her perspective was right. God will come into your life and he will walk you through a crisis. And while you're trying to stop an experience you don't like, he's trying to give you a solution that you really need. Okay, so they're in the middle of this. All right, let's move on. The next part is the part I like to call the defining moment. That is when Jesus comes and he invades our culture with his culture. Jesus comes in and he brings this, let it be done on earth that is in heaven. He brings in this major issue, and here's the the always. Jesus always brings heaven's solutions to our cultural context. And, And it's his solution doesn't always fit well with ours. Give you an example. It's about 13, 12, 13 years old. Uh, we lived on 56 and Garfield. Our friends, you know, were all around there. And we did everything together. We played baseball. But we fought all the time. We fought each other all the time. We'd get into arguments. We'd fight. That's the only way we know how to resolve them. And then, uh, and, so, uh, and so we would get in the fight. But the next day, you needed somebody to play baseball in order to get the teams even. And so you go, you, you, y'all not mad at each other anymore. Hey, come on out and play. So, so, so it just didn't last. But we did it all the time. So. I'm into an argument with this guy named Terry. So me and Terry are arguing, and Terry's kind of in my face or whatever. And then Terry spit on me and ran in the house and locked the door. Now, to me, it's time, this, this is an unacceptable moment right now. So my resolution is I got to beat him up now. Like, this, we just, no, we just can't go on. He got to at least get a little whooping uh, on this one. So... Terry goes in the house, so I'm beating on Terry's door. Come on out, come on out, come on out and take your beating. You know, whatever, because whatever, he's like, no, nah, I ain't coming out. So Terry went over to the window. They had a big window in front of him. He went over to the window. He's looking out the window. And I'm like, come on outside, come on outside. You scared. And so he wouldn't come out. So I went and got a brick. <laughs> and so I bust the window, right? And so Terry ran in the bathroom. So I climbed in the window and went to the bathroom and started kicking the bathroom door trying to get the bathroom door open and everything else. After a while, I got tired, time's got, time went on, and so I just went on home. So I went home, and I'm, I'm eating dinner, and Miss Newsom, Terry's mom calls, my mama, begins to explain what happened. And so mama comes to me and says, now here's the difference between her, cult, as an adult, her cultural perspective of how to bring a resolution to this problem, and my cultural perspective of how to leave a, third, a teenager. So she says, did you break that window? And I said, he spit on me. <laughs> Did you climb in his house and chase him through the house? I said, he spit on me. Like, mom, you ain't understanding. He spit on me. And then she said, did you kick that door, boy's door and put the footprints all over the door? I said, no, 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 mama, you ain't listening. He spit on me. He spit on me. Like, this is all justified. Everything I did was good because he spit on me. And so my mom made me go down the street and apologize 
to Terry while he's smiling, sitting next to his mama. Apologize to his mama and earn the money to fix the window and the door. She brought a adult solution, resolution, to my teenage crisis. And me and her were not on eye to eye. Now, since she was the authority, I had to go along with it. Later on, it all makes sense. But at the moment, my perspective was that much different because my cultural upbringing was only 13 years and hers were more. You follow me? Jesus has been around for a long time. So when he brings his heavenly perspective to our earthly issue, we're going to be saying, yeah, but Jesus, uh, he spit on me. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. No, no he spit on me. I mean, we're we going to have an issue. What God is saying is you got to recognize during that particular moment you got to adjust for him. So he goes down, he brings his disciples down, and they say to him, if your brother wouldn't have been here, this is the ladies, excuse me, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Their perspective is, Jesus, you handled it wrong. You waited too long. And now you have created a problem that's unresolvable. And then Jesus says to them, listen, do you believe that I am who I am? And so they, so they say, yeah, we, we get you. We know you, Jesus, and all that stuff. But we, we have an issue that's here. He says, well, look, your brother's going to rise again. And he says, yeah, I know all that heavenly stuff, that stuff in the future and all that stuff. I'm talking about right now. And then it says Jesus was filled with emotions. Now, he was deeply moved is what it says. Now, what it actually says is it, it, there was a sense of anger or frustration or a, heavenly, a, a, a heavy reaction. It was almost a, uh, like a grunt. If you read it in the, in the Greek, as it begins to break it down, it says sort of like the sound of a horse. So what I'm thinking is that Jesus, they were constantly, Jesus trying to help them to see. No, 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 I'm bringing you heaven's solution. They was like, yeah, but we got an earthly problem. He says, no, we, I'm bringing you heaven's solution. They said, yeah, but it doesn't fit in our earthly problem. And then Jesus said, <laughs> he says, show me where you put the body. So they go over to show him where they put the body. And of course, he tell them, do get up. And so Lazarus gets up, right? So this major thing take place where he begins to demonstrate to them that your earthly issues can easily be resolved with heaven's culture. So now, let me give you some takeaways to really think about here. First of all, Whenever you're dealing with a crisis, make sure that you're willing to adjust to God's timetable. Because how fast you want it resolved might not fit heaven's objective. There's a lot of things that took place. Like, for example, the fact that Lazarus died meant that there was a bigger crowd there. And when the ladies went out to begin to meet Jesus, they saw her leave out. They were mourning with her and followed her, so they were beginning to experience this thing. So the crisis that the one person was going into had results that was bigger than everybody else from heaven's perspective, even though it was just all about you. So your crisis might not be all about you, so adjust to Jesus' time. Plus, you might miss out on something really, really good. You miss out on your blessing when you rush Jesus' time. My wife, uh, you know, when we were single, when I was single, I used to, we, we, when I was hungry, then I didn't wait for like a meal to be prepared. I'd take some bologna, throw it in the skillet, 
by the time I put the mayonnaise on my bread and the cheese, that bologna's ready. That's it. I'm good. When I got married, my wife would say, what do you want to eat? And I would say, yeah, let's have this or this or this. And then she'd start cooking. And it could be like an hour. And I'm smelling the food, and it's going down, it's just empty stomach, all this stuff is going on. And so I'd be like, look, uh, you know, if you got, because she worked too when we first got married. And so, you know, when she came home, like, you know, and I, you know, I've tried cooking before, but they tell me to stay out of the kitchen. So, so sometimes I would be like, look, I don't want to wait. So I might go on and get me a bologna sandwich. Then after she gets through cooking, the steak, the potatoes, the carrots, the green beans and all that stuff, that aroma's in there, and I'm full on a bologna sandwich. What I'm saying is, while Jesus is cooking it, don't rush it. Or as you might fill up on a bologna sandwich when he's trying to give you a complete meal. Y'all with me? Like, don't miss your blessing. So, so some patience is necessary. The next thing is, I have to realize that the learning gap, the understanding gap is with me, not him. Like if I'm saying, you, you don't understand. He spit on me. Jesus is like, look, it's not me who don't understand. It's you. It's always us. Because heaven has all of the right solutions. It's my cultural frame of reference that's the hindrance. And then the last thing is, is, the solution that he gives will address his issue, not mine. In other words, I have to catch up with what his objective is rather than try to make it. Like my only objective is I, I don't want to experience something that I don't like experiencing. So I'm like, well, Jesus, I don't like experiencing that. Like, well, I don't like experiencing the cross. You know, but I did it for the bigger purpose. And God says, and you got a cross too. So therefore, we will go through those challenges. We got to keep that in mind. How am I doing time-wise? Let's see. All right, so cultural application. So here's the deal. Here's the next, always, Jesus' interventions into our shared crisis always leaves us with a decision to make. See, what happens is it was a crisis for me, and the crisis was not a surprise to Christ, but it was a thing that I had to go through to be able to create insight that I did not have before. And sometimes, or most of the times, I would probably almost say all of the time, it's an experience that I had to go through in order to get to the point where it could awaken me. It wasn't nothing I could have read in the book. All right? I wish I could read all my crises in the book and not have to go through it. But there are some things, because of how we're developed as humans, there are some things that we have to experience in order for it to digest, right? So let me tell you the things that took place. So here's what took place. After Jesus rose from the dead, people gathered together, and three, three kind of decision-making processes go. So I want to give you three decisions about how you, what decisions you're going to have to make every time Jesus has an impact. Here's the first one. You're going to have to believe him in spite of cultural incompatibility. i got to have faith. i got to believe God even when I can't put reason to it. Which is hard for us scientists, us who spend time doing everything based on scientific reality. Uh, sometimes God has to take us through stuff and leave us with the result is, you ain't gonna find no answer your way. <laughs> so therefore, he leaves us with that. And I think we have to be willing to accept when there's cultural incompatibility, we have to hold on to that. I had a guy once, he was on a board, 
uh, together and uh, just going through some stuff or whatever, and he said, uh, he said, you're all right. He says, for a black guy, because I just hate black people. And so, and he's a Christian. So I said, well, boy, that's tough. We're going to have to get through this because you and I are going to spend eternity together. Well, he didn't know what to do with that. He went away. He thought about it, and he came back, and he said, why do you say that to me? And this led to conversation after conversation after conversation to where now we're pretty good friends because black people are okay if they're in Christ. You know what I'm saying? I mean, his whole perspective changed, but what happened is he had cognitive dissonance. He had, he had a way where his cultural frame of reference didn't fit heaven's answers, and he had to be willing to do with that. You just got to believe, even though he didn't understand it. Here's the second thing. You have to hold, uh, people are going to hold to their cultural positions uh, despite the evidence that he is Christ. You're going to know Jesus is Jesus, but your earthly alliance is so strong that you cannot let Jesus come and mess it up. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to get into a position where I got to be this person's friends or I got to walk away from this thing because Jesus came in with a perspective from heaven and I am committed to my earthly identity. The other decisions that you have to make is you got to figure out how to prevent his witness from spreading so that you can stop the culture from, uh, his culture from becoming normalized. Because here's the deal, if you reject him and then his perspective become normalized, you become the eyeball. Just imagine this. Let's suppose everybody thought biblically from a human perspective. All of everybody who was saved, just to save people. All of a sudden, we start loving on each other and the divisions that we have based on our earthly identities, race, politics, gender, uh, uh, wealth level, all this kind of stuff that divide us, all that stuff would become secondary issues because Jesus has offered a solution that rises above those. We mess up everything. We mess up the uh, two-party presidential, uh, I mean, excuse me, the two-party political alliances, we would mess up the economic structure that's here, we would mess up the social structure that's here, we would mess up everything that's taking place. So there's some people who are Christians who say, I don't want that to change because I like my earthly identity more than I like the heavenly one that he's trying to bring into my life. I don't want to change the culture because it'll change me. All right? All right, let me hit you with some takeaway values in two minutes. Here's some takeaway values. Here's here's what I kind of pull away with this at the end of the day. Cultural competencies are key to a healthy spiritual formation. In other words, if you ignore growing and developing your cultural competency, then your ability to grow in your spiritual formation becomes stifled. You say, where did you get that from? A couple things. First of all, every time you look at uh, uh, God's demand for us, God, God made us such a diverse group. And when he talks about our responsibilities, he's always talking about two cultures coming together, more than one culture coming together, everybody coming together. He's talking about that. Then he says this statement in John chapter 1, verse number 4. I mean, first John, yeah, first John chapter 4. He says, is anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Why is he a liar? He says, for he 
who does not love his brother whom, he's, who, whom he can see, who's in the same human cultural framework as him, uh, cannot love God who he cannot see, who is in a totally different community, neighborhood, cultural framework. In other words, you can't figure out cultural resolution here. Don't come telling me that you can relate to me when I'm way from over, I'm, I'm not just down the street or in another neighborhood. I'm not just in the state next door. I'm a quite a ways away. And if you can't resolve the issue with people who are from your neighborhood, your human neighborhood, don't tell me you know how to love me. He follows that up in some ways with Matthew who says, listen, I will put it on the same plane. Those who love the Lord, here's a commandment number one, love the Lord with all of who you are. And the second one is love your neighbor. You can't love the neighbor. He says, I'm putting them on the same plane because I recognize that you can't do one without the other. You can't really love me. Now, you could think you're loving me based on your culture, but loving me has to be based on mine. Here's the second one. Cultural competencies sharpen our ability to see beyond our human lens. Here's an interesting statement he says is in our passage, John chapter number 11, verse number 9. He says, Jesus answered. This is when they said, Jesus, if we go down there, they're going to kill us. Jesus hits them with this. He says, um, are there not 12 hours in the day? He's giving them an earthly example. He says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Now, when he, comes after the, when he comes with the next statement, the but, the but is no longer talking about the, the world from that perspective. He's saying, catch the idea of light. The reason why people can see is because of the light they're depending on. He says, but if anyone walks in the darkness, he's talking about the world, the darkness of this world, if you, if you recognize this as a problem, then he says, he stumbles, why? Because the light is not in him. What Jesus is saying is, look, the light is in me, so I can see from a heavenly perspective even in this dark world. What you're doing is depending on the world, so daytime, uh, you know, daytime is something that you're depending on because of how you walk. He also gives us another one in Matthew chapter number 6 when he says this. He says, um, he says if your lamp, the eye, the eye is the light of the body. If the light's dead, if the, if the eye's are blind, so to speak, then the whole body's going astray. It's like having a bad GPS. It ain't taking you where you need to go. Here's the last one. God's compassion, um, compassionate desire is to bring heaven's culture into our crisis-driven reality. God knows we have issues. His objective is to bring, and we have issues in the framework of our culture. Our culture is problematic. We are created with excellence, intentionality, and intelligent design. And then we're placed in an environment that is deficient and horrible. So what's in the cup is not, it doesn't allow the cup to reach the capacity of its intended purpose in creation. So what we gotta do is empty out the cup of this world and fill ourselves with Christ. He says, when your kingdom come, you'll let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our challenge is that we're struggling in our culture and not inviting in the culture that God is calling us to, uh, which is heaven's culture. Let me end with this. 
we're doing time. I'm over time now. Uh, let me end with this. Um, when I was about nine years old, eight, nine years old, we went to camp. Taylor was talking about camp. We went to camp, and when we was at camp, a friend of mine, and they used to gather the kids from the neighborhood. So this neighborhood, you know, is out there. And so one of my friends said, I dare you to jump in the water. We were standing around the pool. I dare you to jump in the water. So I'm standing over the nine feet of water. And uh, he said, I dare you to jump in. I said, you dare me? I said, yeah. So I jumped in the water. Shoes on, clothes on, everything on. And so I could swim a little bit, but I, I guess I became shell-shocked when I jumped in there and started going straight down because I guess I had all my clothes on or whatever the case it matters. But whatever it is, I panicked. And so I'm down there panicking, right? And so I, I sunk all the way down to the bottom. So I'm feeling like I'm in the bottom of the water, and I'm just kind of fighting to get out, right? And all of a sudden, I feel this stick. This stick started tapping me. So what I did was I brushed the stick off. Because so I'm like, the stick is in the way. I'm trying to get out of here, and the stick keeps hitting on me. So I'm going, and I'm fighting and everything else, and so the stick keeps hitting on me, and I'm moving the stick out of the way. I'm constantly fighting the stick because the stick is in my way because I'm trying to resolve this issue. And then all of a sudden, I ran out of breath, so I blew out, and I took a deep breath. And, of course, feel like nothing happened, but what did happen is water starts going inside. So now I'm fighting, and my body is getting to where I can't hardly move, and the stick, and so I'm constantly having to fight off the stick and survive at the same time. And uh, it, it got so bad, I kind of started hearing that music, like, in the back of my mind, like, you did, like, this is, you know. This. And, so, and so finally, I got tired. I grabbed the stick, and then the stick pulled me up out of the water. All along the way, my, the solution was right there, but I was so embedded in my own culture that I'm fighting off the solution to my problem, which was coming from above. God says, I'm here. I'm offering you solutions. But sometimes we're fighting so much, trying to resolve it ourselves, that we're not opening ourselves up to giving him an opportunity to lift us up out of the problem. But his solution is not going to come from where our culture frame of reference. His solution is always going to come from his culture, which is heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your word. We ask that you would guide us to be obedient, to follow it, and let it change our lives. In Christ's name, amen.